This is an ABC podcast. Hi, Damien Carrick here. This is The Law Report. In a legal first, three members of an outlaw motorcycle gang have been convicted for showing their tattooed bodies in public. After a contested trial, a West Australian magistrate dismissed some of the charges, but did find the trio guilty of displaying prohibited insignia at a pool party in a Perth hotel. Leaving the court, one of the convicted men had this to say. We no longer live in a free country. We can't have on our bodies what we want, we can't wear what we want, we can't hang around what we want. WA Police Commissioner Cole Blanche and Premier Mark McGowan both welcomed the convictions. So as far as I'm concerned, that's a win for the police. There were three convictions and this is the first time it's been done. The Premier there highlighting what he regards as a significant legal milestone. Perth criminal lawyer Trent Andrews acted for a fourth man who was found not guilty. Trent Andrews, under what laws were the men charged? They were charged under the prohibited organisations insignia legislation in WA, which is Act 2021, Damien. The laws prohibit the display of insignia from scheduled organisations under legislation, which includes a number of so-called outlaw or motorcycle gangs, including insignia of uh, the Rebels and also uh, the Hells Angel motorcycle clubs. Now, most other jurisdictions have similar laws banning insignia on clothing, so on the jacket, on the on the bandana, on the motorbike, what have you. But WA, is it unique in extending prohibited insignia to tattoos? Well, it's the first in Australia, as I understand it. Uh, I understand it also uh, Germany and Austria under the display of insignia of uh, prohibited organisations, including the Nazi Party, is prohibited, uh, including uh, swastika tattoos. And as recently as 2021, a soldier in the Austrian army was convicted and uh, imprisoned for 19 months for displaying a swastika on his genitals uh, during some drunken fraternising with other uh, soldiers in the camp and uh, it was photographed. I think the photographs ended up on the internet. We do, of course, have these similar laws banning, uh, you know, outlaw motorcycle gang insignia around Australia, but WA is unique in extending it to, to tattoos. That's that's our understanding. Yes, I think that's right. And the fact that um, people uh, have had the tattoos for many years um, and they've only become illegal relatively recently uh, creates a conundrum for them, of course, particularly with the tattoos on places like uh, the head and neck and difficult to cover up. Tell me about the events of January 2022 that led to the charges. Where was this you know, pool party? Which hotel in Perth? So the four accused men were um, at the Rendezvous Hotel in Scarborough. It was in the late afternoon public pool area open to guests of the Rendezvous Hotel. They were uh, sitting uh, by the pool having a few drinks, uh, keeping to themselves, when uh, police have arrived out of the area. And uh, as a result of that, um, they were initially uh, issued with dispersal notices and then they were uh, charged with the offence of displaying prohibited insignia. 
Now, tell me about the four men who faced court. Three were members of the Rebels Outlaw Motorcycle Gang. I think it's Jamie Gin, Jason Pettigrove and Jesse Copeman. And your client, um, Tyson Robinson, a member of the Hells Angels, was acquitted. Tell me about the tattoos of the three men who were found guilty. Well, interestingly, the court wasn't called upon to make any findings in respect to whether they were members of the Rebels Motorcycle Gang. Um the court was invited to make findings of guilt based upon 1% tattoos on the forearm, uh, chest and neck, and also um, rebels tattoos uh, they had on areas of their body. In respect to Mr. Robinson, there was a Hell's Angel death's head tattoo on the back of his uh, left knee, and a 1% tattoo um, superimposed over uh, that tattoo. And so it was on the basis of those tattoos that the court was invited to make findings of guilt. So the the magistrate found the three members of the Rebels Outlaw Motorcycle Gang guilty, but not your client. Can you tell me why uh, the magistrate distinguished between the three Rebels members and your client? In respect to the magistrate's findings, I understand uh, the three members of the Rebels were found guilty in relation to the uh, 1% tattoos on the uh, forearm, neck and chest, but not in relation to the Rebels' tattoo. In terms of Mr Robinson, the tattoo uh, is on the back of his uh, left knee. And Now, when police arrived at the Wadabo Hotel, um, he was sitting with his back to a wall with his legs out in front of him, um, with his knees bent, and he's sitting on a chair. So effectively, nobody was able to see what was um, behind um, his knee, his left knee, where the tattoo was, when they arrived. Now, when police have arrived, they've spoken to them, and they've each been asked to um, stand up and approach an officer who was issuing the dispersal notices. And it was only when Mr Robinson stood up and walked over to receive his dispersal notice and... It's a requirement imposed by the legislation that a person comply with directions by a police officer to attend any place as directed for the purpose of being served with a dispersal notice. So he's acting pursuant to a lawful order by police when he goes to receive his dispersal notice. At that point, because he stood up, the tattoo on on the rear of his left knee uh, becomes visible. At that point, police have photographed the tattoo. That was the basis for the allegation. He was displaying the tattoo in public. So... If I got this right, the three other accused who were found guilty, their uh, their tattoos are on kind of prominent visible parts of their body, which everybody at the pool area could see, whereas your client was had a tattoo in, in a more hidden place and it was only once the police requested that he stand up that it was put on public display, thereby breaking the law. And, of course, they couldn't um, say uh, what he was uh, doing prior to their arrival. didn't um, seem to have been complaints made by any members of the public uh, or by staff at the venue in relation to any of the men. They couldn't say whether the whether he'd been stood up or you know whether anyone in public had actually seen his tattoo. Uh, in fact, there was no evidence that any members of the public present had witnessed any of the tattoos. The, the 1% tattoos in relation to which the uh, rebels were convicted relatively inconspicuous um, in the sense that they're only a small-ish tattoos and they're on uh, we're talking about the forearm, the neck. In the context of someone who's really heavily tattooed, uh, although members of the public in their immediate vicinity, 
But of course, the laws only require that the tattoo is capable of being uh, viewed by a person who's in a public place. Okay, so we now have these three convictions and one non-guilty finding for your client. So is this the first time at a contested trial that accused have been found guilty of displaying prohibited insignia which involve tattoos? Yes, there's been one previous matter that's proceeded to trial. That was the matter of Dayden Brakovich. He was found not guilty in relation to the two charges that were brought against him. Uh, This is the first time that anybody has been convicted after trial in relation to these charges. So this is quite a significant moment. Yes, that's right. Certainly, um, the uh, Commissioner of Police and the Premier have um, commented on the convictions, so I, I think they do consider it to be significant, yes. So, so can you just walk me through um, why Dane Brakovich was found not guilty? What was the evidence used against him and what was the defence um, position? Uh, well, I wasn't uh, counsel for Mr Brakovich, um, so I can only comment on information that I've uh, read in the media, but I understand that um, in relation to the first of the offences, um, he was wearing a T-shirt, allegedly, with uh, Hell's Angels insignia on it. The second incident related to um, allegedly displaying a Hell's Angel tattoos in a public place, a shopping mall. In relation to the T-shirt, That's right, the footage was grainy and therefore the magistrate wasn't able to be satisfied beyond reasonable doubt as to his identity. In relation to the footage from the shopping mall, again, there were no direct witnesses, so the police relied solely on CCTV footage. And again, the footage was not of sufficient quality to enable the magistrate to make a determination as to whether he was displaying primitive insignia, primitive tattoos. So Dane Brakovich's case um, was an acquittal. We've just had the recent uh, successful prosecution of, of, of three uh, people. Have anybody pled guilty in the past to, to these sorts of uh, charges around tattoos under the new legislation? Yeah, so from my understanding, there's been um, a couple of people that have pled guilty. and I, The fines, I believe, are in the order of about $1,000 to $1,500 that have been imposed in respect to those. As I understand it, you would say the fines are not the issue. You would say that a successful conviction for displaying prohibited insignia opens up new legal doors that you say are the real issue here. Yes, so the person is convicted either of displaying prohibited insignia um, or of breaching a disseminate dispersal notice and they are then liable, based on that conviction, to be issued with a, a three-year consorting notice. Uh, now, the effect of a consorting notice is to prohibit and render it a serious offence for them to associate in private or in public with anybody else named in that notice. Now, are there other prosecutions for the display of a tattoo in the pipeline that you are aware of? I couldn't say, um, David. I'm not, I'm not acting in relation to any other matters um, at this stage. I, I believe, actually, um, one of my colleagues and my firm is acting in relation to one. That, that's been on hold because of a potential challenge to legislation um, in the High Court. I understand matters 
have been um, adjourned off pending, firstly, that, that uh, potential constitutional challenge, but secondly, also the outcome of this test case that um, was recently uh, determined. And we should point out that the WA magistrate is yet to hand down a sentence and we don't know if there will be accompanying sentencing comments and we don't know what the magistrate will have to say in those. Bearing that in mind, you mentioned that, um, acknowledging that, so so you say that there might be a court challenge, a high court challenge. What would be the basis? What would be the legal argument in any high court challenge to these laws? It would be that it's an unreasonable infringement of the implied right to freedom of political communication. Because what's peculiar about a tattoo as opposed to other forms of prohibited insignia, which might be you know, an item of clothing or, or, or a logo on a, on a, on a motorbike or on a clubhouse? Yeah, well, I think um, the fact that person who's had the tattoo for a number of years before these laws are enacted, it's often in quite a you know a prominent place, which is difficult to conceal, will have some um, difficulty in avoiding or complying with the laws uh, in circumstances where at the time when they got the tattoo, it was perfectly legal to do so. I think secondly... It's the uh, power to issue dispersal notices, um, which have the effect of prohibiting the person from associating public with anyone else who's named in the notice for a period of seven days. And that's a significant burden on the common law right to freedom of association. And those dispersal notices, um, they can be issued on the spot if uh, the, the police decide that somebody is a member of an outlaw motorcycle gang? Yes, that's right. Trent Andrews from Perth law firm Andrews Legal, thanks for speaking to The Law Report. Thank you, Damien. At the trial, defence lawyers did raise the constitutional question, but Magistrate Michelle Harries brushed off the argument. Here's some of what she had to say. With respect to implied freedom of political communication, the High Court held that freedom of speech has never been an absolute right. Various constraints upon it have always been essential for the existence of a peaceable, civilised and democratic country. The Insignia Act is a clear example of legislative restrictions being placed on the implied freedom of expression in order to ensure a peaceable and civilised society. So, what are the prospects of any possible constitutional legal challenge to the outlaw motorcycle gang tattoo ban? And what about bans on tattoos of Nazi insignia? University of Western Australia Associate Professor Murray Wesson is an expert in constitutional and human rights law. Murray Wesson, the WA legislation which bans the display of prohibited insignia of outlaw motorcycle gangs, is it unique in extending the ban to tattoos? That appears to be the case. So you might have a law which by virtue of banning a particular symbol, whether it be a Nazi symbol or insignia associated with a particular Nazi gang, would apply to a tattoo unless tattoos are exempted, as is the case under the Victorian Act. But the WA law does appear to be unusual, maybe even unique in global terms, in specifically prohibiting the display of particular tattoos. So if a member of an outlaw motorcycle gang who has a tattoo 
seeks to challenge this law, what would they have to establish to successfully run a constitutional challenge to this ban on the public display of tattoos? So the most likely avenue of challenge is the implied freedom of political communication under the Constitution, that's the Commonwealth Constitution. And we don't have an express right to freedom of speech or expression under the Constitution. But since the early 1990s, the High Court has said that there's an implied freedom of political communication. And the rationale for that is that the Constitution creates a system of representative government. And for representative government to function effectively, there needs to be free political communication. What that means is that if laws are enacted in any Australian jurisdiction which infringe upon free political communication, the law needs to be justified with reference to the aims of the legislation, if necessary, to show that the law is proportionate to those aims. And now applying that those legal principles to the public display of a tattoo of a prohibited insignia of an outlaw motorcycle gang, what would you have to establish? I mean, is this a form of political expression? Well, I think that's the very difficult threshold question that arises. Is this actually political communication? So the implied freedom of political communication doesn't protect expression generally. It's not like the First Amendment of the US Constitution, which protects all forms of expression. It only protects political communication. I suspect that it will be difficult to establish that the display of Barclay insignia are a form of political communication. And so they might fall outside the protection of the implied freedom. So any constitutional challenge would have to surmount that initial difficult threshold issue. Because I guess the argument would be that um, the display of this insignia means you're showing membership of a a club or an organisation or an antisocial kind of organisation. There's no political dimension to that. There does appear to be. So the insignia might, for example, communicate or project a sort of sense of belonging to an organisation perhaps a certain value set, but there doesn't seem to be any idea being communicated that's relevant to decisions that have to be made as part of the political process. And so the difficult threshold issue, I think, that would have to be met in this case is actually establishing that there is political communication. And if there isn't political communication, which I think is most probably the case, then you don't get to the next stage of the inquiry, which is whether the burden on the communications proportionate or not. And if you do pass the first hurdle and you then get to the point of whether or not the burden is uh, proportionate or not or, or, or legitimate, look, I then I guess you'd go to the objects of the Act, of, of the WA Act, which is um, that the stated objectives of the law include, one, to disrupt the capacity of the outlaw motorcycle gangs to organise and that support the carrying out of criminal activity, and, and two, subsection two, to ensure the public may pass through public spaces, places, without experiencing fear or intimidation because of outlaw motorcycle gang-related activity, and then three, to reduce the membership of of these organisations. Well, I'm sure the government would argue that the tattoos create fear, create intimidation. I I would imagine that would be the government position. That would be their position. So they'd say that this law is necessary in order to pursue those objectives that you've just mentioned. At the same time, though, I think we need to acknowledge this is quite a heavy-handed law. So any kind of display in any public place of any of these insignia in the form of tattoos or otherwise is prohibited. And that does seem quite heavy-handed. 
So, and it's not clear that insignia such as that will always cause this sort of sense of intimidation on the public. So then I think it becomes arguable that perhaps the law isn't proportionate. The, sometimes proportionality is explained um, as meaning that you shouldn't use a sledgehammer to crack a nut. You know, so you should use proportionate means to achieve the goals that you're seeking to achieve. And this law does seem quite heavy-handed in how far it goes. But we have banning insignia laws all around the country. The issue here is tattoos. What do you think is special about tattoos which takes it across the line from proportionate to potentially no longer proportionate? Is it, is it because it is actually inked on somebody's body? Is, it, is that what the, the, the difference is here? Now, whether there's something special about tattoos, I think there might be broader civil liberties issues about tattoos, given that if you have a tattoo in a prominent place and there's a law that prohibits the public display of tattoos, it might be difficult then for you to move around in public freely. Okay, coming to that more general civil liberties question, what do you see as the issues um, around prohibiting people from displaying tattoos which might be on a part of their body which cannot be easily concealed? So we don't have a Bill of Rights under the Australian Constitution, Um, but if we think about the range of human rights that are protected in international human rights law in treaties that Australia has ratified. We do find their rights such as freedom of expression, uh, which is broader than the category of political communication, freedom of movement and freedom of association. And I think if there's a difficulty with prohibiting the public display of certain tattoos, and firstly, tattoos are difficult to remove. But secondly, depending where on the body they're situated, it could inhibit someone from moving around in public space, exercising perhaps, going to the beach and so on, because in all circumstances, the public display of that tattoo is prohibited. So again, there'd be a question of proportionality about whether the restriction on movement association and so on is justified with reference to the objectives that you mentioned earlier. And as I say, it does seem to be quite a heavy-handed prohibition you want to show that the extent of the prohibition is necessary to prevent the sense of fear and intimidation in the public. And there might be a question about proportionality as to whether, in order to achieve that goal, it's necessary to prohibit the public display of any of those tattoos in public in any circumstances. But as I said, the more narrow claim under the Australian Constitution would not be those broader sort of civil liberties or human rights issues, would be the specific question of political communication. So, so Murray Wesson, it would appear that when it comes to a, a constitutional challenge for somebody who is a, a bikey who has a tattoo, they might not pass the threshold for a, a political communication or a political expression. But what about a Nazi who has a swastika tattooed on their body? Would that constitute political communication, which might open up the, the door to a constitutional challenge? It's, a, it's an interesting question, um, and there's an interesting contrast here with the law on tattoos that uh, express Bahia insignia. Nazi symbol certainly is political, so uh, it, it is a form of political communication, even if it's a repellent form of politics. And so if you had a law which prohibited Nazi tattoos, for example, or a law which prohibits Nazi symbols being displayed in public that applies to tattoos, 
it would be easier to get past the threshold question of whether it's political communication or not. And so the implied freedom of political communication would be engaged. The question then would be, if one had a law which prohibited the public display of Nazi tattoos, whether that limitation on political communication is proportionate or not. And it's obviously always difficult to know how courts will decide issues. I would say on the one hand that uh, Nazi symbols are instantly recognisable to most people in a way that perhaps Bakhi insignia, or at least by some Bakhi insignia, might not be. And so that might help establish the case that that sort of limitation is proportionate. On the other hand, as we've discussed, we are also dealing with uh, semi-permanent markings on the body. Um, and so that might suggest that that kind of uh, prohibition would raise a difficult question of proportionality. But yes, to go back to your initial question, the ban on Nazi tattoos being displayed in public would engage the implied freedom more easily at that threshold level than the prohibition on Bakhi insignia. If you make the assessment that people seeing a swastika tattooed on a body, they're going to be distressed, offended, uh, put in fear, intimidated. Perhaps there's a, there's a stronger argument around the way community would respond. The community would respond to seeing that, as opposed to seeing um, bikey colours tattooed on somebody. Is the offence, the distress, the sense of intimidation, does that feed into whether or not something is proportionate or not? The banning of something is proportionate or not? I, I think it does, depending upon, of course, the objectives of the law. But if the objective of, hypothetically, a prohibition on Nazi tattoos is to prevent a sense of fear or intimidation in the community, I'd suspect that for most people, those insignia, Nazi insignia or symbols, are more recognisable than some of the organisations listed in Schedule 2 of the WA Act, which are bikey organisations. I certainly haven't heard of, of many of them, and I suspect that's true for many members of the public too, although some of them are familiar whereas Nazi symbols are, of course, instantly recognisable to most members of the community. So that might help sustain uh, the proportionality of a law uh, which prohibited the public display of, of Nazi tattoos. Murray Wesson, finally, what about the connection between a conviction for displaying uh, a tattoo of a prohibited insignia and this opening the door, once you're found guilty of that, minor offence, to being the subject of a three-year non-consorting order with other members of, of a, an outlaw motorcycle gang. What are your views about the opening of the door to this very serious non-consorting order? Now, there are some defences to this consorting offence. So, for example, consorting with family members does not fall within the terms of the offence. Consorting in the course of employment or certain forms of education are also defences. Where there's potentially an issue is that there isn't a defence relating to uh, consorting for the purposes of political communication. So this takes us back to the implied freedom of political communication. And there, previously, in other jurisdictions, there have been questions about whether laws that prohibit consorting in these circumstances create a constitutional issue to the extent that they also prohibit consorting for the purposes of political communication which is protected under the Constitution. Now, there was a case which considered the um, constitutionality of a similar law in New South Wales, that was Tajora in New South Wales. And in that 
case, the majority of the High Court found that the prohibition on consorting was constitutional. There was an acknowledgement that it could bear upon political communication in some circumstances, um, but the view of the majority was that the law would be less effective if uh, it's carved out some sort of exception for political communication. Well, we'll have to see how these things pan out. Uh, Associate Professor Murray Wesson from UWA, thank you. Thank you for speaking to The Law Report. Thank you, Damien. And that's all we have time for. A big thank you to producer Christina Kukolia and to technical producer Kerry Dell. And on whatever podcast platform you might have found us, do leave us a review. It helps others find us. I'm Damien Carrick. Talk to you next time with more law. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.